0: This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw, and today is August the 14th, 2007. And for some reason this week, my head is spinning, spinning, stop the world, I want to get off. (laughs) Too much, too much, too much, too much. Uh, Somebody, I think F. Scott Fitzgerald, once said that we can measure intelligence or uh, judge it uh it's the capacity to hold opposing ideas in the mind and continue to function yes simultaneously to be what do we call that optimist and pessimist uh pessimism of the intellect optimism of the will that kind of thing basically though lately i've been trying to count count the good stuff you know put the good stuff right up against to balance the the god-awful stuff. You know, the old cliche, more eat than starve, that kind of thing, you know. Anyway, it is certainly the best of times and worst of times um, today. I wanted to talk about sex and women and lust and disgust, yes. Um, I lined up seven articles last night and scratched my head. There was one on romance in the movies. Oh, oh, oh. and then there's a bunch of stuff about... Andrea Dworkin's book, Intercourse, the definitive text on uh, sex as oppression, the oppression of women. Uh, Ah, so interesting, all that stuff. Sex is the best and the worst of being human, you know. Also, it's the most exciting, the most boring, the most pain and pleasure. We all know that. Uh, Contradictions, uh, enigmas... Maybe they cancel each other out anyway. You remember the old song, the joys of love are but a moment long. The pain of love endures the whole life long. Wow, Jane Austen claimed for her sex. um, in In the novel Persuasion, Jane Austen wrote that a woman's capacity to care lasts long after all hope has gone, all possibility. Um, She grants that men may love as deeply and as well, but that it is women who have the capacity for mourning, I would call that. Uh, That's the widow thing, old Queen Victoria. (laughs) Sounds like religiosity to me. Worship of something that never was, never could be. Who knows? Uh, Anyway, I got to thinking about this because there's a group of women in Senegal who won a million dollars peace prize because they are battling uh, against female genital mutilation. That's a subject that got me on KPFA for the first time back in 1982, I think it was, yes. So long ago, a quarter of a century ago, the same issue. Dr. Nawal Sadawe, an Egyptian Marxist, had been thrown into jail by Sadat, of all people, and uh, uh, the the difficulty was uh, she is a doctor, and she had suggested that having their genitals cut off was not good for women's mental and physical health, and so he put her in jail uh, under Egyptian law number 96 for the protection of values from shame, anyway, I got on KPFA and hollered a lot, and uh Dr. Sadawe was eventually released from Kandahar Prison. She is now, uh where is she floating around? I think last time I heard, well, she was teaching up in Seattle. Anyway, she is still with us. Um, her book is called The Hidden Face of Eve. I highly recommend, but if you just look up Sadawe, S-A-A-D-A-W-I, Nawal El-Sadawe. You can find her list of books, which is long. Uh, It's what got me started on the subject a quarter of a century ago, and I have discovered over all that time that most people really don't want to hear about this. No matter what I do, I either get the feedback that this is the tradition of another culture and none of my damn business, or I get the feedback that it's simply too much to bear, too too painful to listen to, and nobody wants to be that down, you know. Then the second week in July, it was this year, the second week of July in 2007, a remarkable thing happened. Uh, I heard on public radio, NPR, National Public Radio, they, they let us hear the voice, the sound of a girl child, uh the mutilation the practice of mutilation was recorded, and I thought, my God, uh, if they can do that, if they can if they can put that on national radio, then surely we can go back and revisit this subject, especially since this million dollar peace prize has gone to the women in Senegal for trying to stop it. Uh, the group is a, a group of Performance artists, actors, dancers, they're going around trying to educate people and tell them that it is not necessary for women to have their genitals cut off in order to be real women. Uh, Two million girls and women are subjected to this practice, to female genital mutilation, each year. And I have a piece to read to you which describes the procedure. I'm not going to read all of it. I read a little bit of it because... Like everyone else, I can't bear to. I cannot bear to read the description of what actually happens to these young women. I was looking at a book by Alice Walker called Possessing the Secret of Joy, which deals with FGM, and I was going to read you the end of a chapter in which the girl's flesh, the children's flesh, is literally thrown to the chickens, clitoris removed, and, um, inner labia, outer labia, as well, if infibulation is practiced. That's the most extreme or pharaonic form of of uh, female genital mutilation. And uh, the bits and pieces are thrown to the chickens. Uh, I yes, I shudder to think, when I was a young woman, I was raised in a doctor's family, and I was... Vaguely acquainted with this practice, and I just assumed that, you know, it was like um, <laughs> it was like when they showed you a few shrunken heads, and you thought, oh, that's a couple of tribes, you know, up the head of the river there, but can't possibly be anything uh, uh, mainstream. And then I learned that there were hospitals in the Sudan where this practice. Uh, was carried out and they said, well, at least here, you know, the instruments are sterilized and everything is sanitary, blah, 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 instead of having an older woman, you know, using uh, rusty instruments and uh, cutting 20 girls at once and spreading AIDS and so forth. They were proud of the fact that uh, this was all done nice and tidy and, of course, the great shock I received, uh, oh, 15 years ago, I think, was when I realized, discovered that the practice was carried over into uh, other countries, other cultures, uh, or the children were sent home to have this uh, practice carried out. The Brits have outlawed it. Uh, we have some child abuse laws. It's obviously against the law, but uh, it's very often now done surreptitiously, uh I think it was outlawed in Egypt in 56, um, mid-50s. And Dr. Sadawe, of course, was uh, subsequently, she had been uh, circumcised, mutilated. Uh, It was uh, supposedly just practiced in the rural areas, but tain't so. We're talking about two million, two million girls. let me read you just a little bit i've got a book in front of me called facts that should should change the world by jessica williams and um fgm is one of the items <laughs> i love this book it's it's the book i give people who want to know how bad is it and i say this is how bad it is right a third of the world is at war 30 million people in africa are hiv positive we owe the UN more than a billion, cars kill two people every minute, you name it, we <laughs> we got it. We've also got the good stuff, like the women who were trying to stop this and they got the million dollar uh peace prize. Goddess bless them. I was looking in my notes last night and there was a young man, um president of Burkini Faso, who was assassinated and one of the reasons given was that he tried to outlaw. Female genital mutilation. Anyway, in this piece, um, yes, facts that should change the world, we read that two million girls and women subjected to female genital mutilation each year and they begin with a quote from a 22-year-old young woman recollecting the day she underwent the practice uh, It's an extremely painful process that causes irreparable physical and psychological harm. She writes that uh, our parents told us it was an obligation. We fought back. We really thought we were going to die because of the pain. Nawal Sadawe wrote that she thought that robbers had gotten into the house. She was about six years old. And she was horribly shocked to see her mother serving them food and uh, being polite to them. This young woman's uh, testimony goes on to say, there's one woman holding your mouth so you won't scream and two holding your chest and the other holding your legs. After we were infibulated, we had rope tied across our legs, so it was like we had to learn to walk again. The memory and the pain never really goes. And, of course, uh, this is a practice that causes irreparable physical and psychological harm. It's a fundamental violation of human rights. As Alice Walker has said, it is not tradition, it is torture. Yet the World Health Organization estimates that uh, 200 women, 2 million women and girls are still subjected to it. FGM takes many forms. All of them involve cutting away some or all of a girl's genitalia. The most severe form is known as infibulation. Part or all of the clitoris and labia are cut away. The vulval opening is joined with thorns or sewn up. I have brought with me today a long poem that I use for readings uh, from time to time once again. It's not something people want to hear and the thorns, of course, I compare to the thorns worn by Christ on his head. A small opening is left so that urine and menstrual blood may pass. Uh, Infibulation accounts for around 15% of all female genital mutilation. The common form, the most common form, Uh, involves cutting away the clitoris and labia minora. That's the inner labia. And this constitutes up to 80% of FGM cases. There's a movie from Somalia. Uh, I'm trying to remember the name of it now. I think it was... I'm thinking of something like Firelight, but it wasn't that. No, Fire... Oh dear, Fire something. Anyway... Uh, it was here in Berkeley several years ago and there were a bunch of doctors there to uh, see it and they were shocked. But one of them had um, encountered a patient here in United States and uh, he had thought, he and his nurse had thought that the woman had been in an automobile accident until she explained to them what had been done to her. Uh, this uh, argument in... Um, <laughs> in fact, that could change the world, goes on to say that uh, FGM is practiced by followers of all religious beliefs. I found some cases here in America in a, uh, another book that I'll bring another time. Uh, <laughs> girls born with uh, uh, large clitorises were often uh, surgically altered oh, in the past, and um, maybe so today, yes. Anyway, the practice is most routinely uh, seen in Africa. Twenty-eight countries there are reported to carry out FGM. It's also common among some groups in Asia and the Middle East, in immigrant communities in Europe, Australia, Canada, and the USA. (laughs) There was a case here in Portland. I remember old Ted Koppel was kind enough to two young American girls born in this country young girls their mother was from Nigeria and the girls were born here and the families wished to take these girls back take them home and uh, mutilate them and it was all the mother could do to keep them here in the USA I've always been grateful to Ted Koppel for uh, being brave enough to put these girls on uh, nightline anyway The practice is usually performed by a traditional practitioner, some call them midwives, using crude instruments and without anesthetic. Sometimes the event is characterized as a rite of passage. The girls will be given gifts. They will be told that after the procedure is complete, they will have become women. One film I saw from an Egyptian filmmaker, uh, Knocked My Socks Off, uh, There was an elderly woman in the village, one of the uh, midwives, who carried out the practice. And uh, she's quoted as saying, in the film she's quoted as saying, if we do not cut it off, it will grow into a penis. Now, families who have performed FGM on their daughters cite a variety of reasons for the decision, some societies believe in limiting women's sexual desires in order to maintain chastity before marriage and fidelity after it. I remember the movie about Somalia? A young man, not young, a man about 40, said that uh, his wife, he wanted his wife uh, cut because he said you wouldn't leave home without locking the door. Anyway, the practice can be seen... ...as part of a group's cultural heritage, a ceremony. Of course, I see it as the oldest form of torture for social and economic control. Some people believe that it enhances fertility... ...while others cite reasons of hygiene and aesthetics. Uncircumcised genitals are seen as dirty or ugly... And a girl who is not circumcised will be considered unfit for marriage. Unfit for marriage. Fascinating thought, yes. uh, Of course, when she marries, she has to be cut open again. Uh, (laughs) Ah, dear. Those of us who were raised in Western culture know that even while we may not be surgically excised, uh, the notion of a taboo or ugliness connected with women's genitalia is as old uh, as patriarchy. Now, a woman who is not excised may be uh, excluded from society, even barred from touching the food or the crops, there are religious considerations a minority, a minority of Muslims believe that their faith requires girls to be circumcised, though the process was established well before the birth of Islam. It is not part of the faith. When Nawal Sadawi was lecturing here in Berkeley and Wheeler Auditorium, she explained at great length that the practices about uh, patriarchy, about property... That the veils, the wrapping up, hiding of women goes way, way back in history. Herodotus reports it oh, hundreds of years before the birth of Christ. It's about property. It's not about, uh, the prophet. Due to the secrecy surrounding the practice in many countries and the reluctance of many women to discuss it, it's hard to tell how many women die as a result of FGM. The Egyptian filmmaker that I met here in uh, the U.S., she came and brought her films to the Pacific Film Archive years ago. She had been uh, inspired to do this work because her sister had died of an infection from FGM. The article here says, it's hard to get clear figures on how many have undergone the procedure World Health Organization estimates that between 100 and 140 million women have had some form of FGM. That's a million and a half women walking around. Uh, uh, I think it's much higher than that. The work of Fran Hoskins came to my attention many years ago, and she has figures much higher than that uh, Hoskins is spelled H-O-S-K-I-N-S, and I'm sure you can Google her friend, Hoskins. Probably the foremost authority in the U.S. of A. What is clear is that every single woman will have faced grave health risks in undergoing the procedure and that there are substantial long-term problems associated with it. At the time the procedure is carried out, a girl suffers severe pain, risks shock, hemorrhage, blood poisoning. It is often performed in unsanitary environments with equipment that has been used on other girls, resulting in infections, HIV, AIDS, transmission. In the long term, the woman may find sex painful and unpleasant. She may suffer scarring, pelvic infections, where a woman has been infibulated, the retention of urine or menstrual blood can lead to chronic infection. When she first attempts intercourse with her husband, she may need to be cut, and further operations may be needed before she can give birth. This is to say nothing of the psychological scars. There's no doubt about it. Uh, cutting the genitals of girls and women is a barbaric Practice which must be stopped. The complexity of the problem and the secrecy surrounding it call for a careful approach. It is easy to demonize people and societies that practice FGM. It is much harder to effect the kind of change in attitudes that will see these societies reject it for themselves. If we are serious about stopping, FGM, then that's what we must do. A number of brave women are daring to speak out against FGM in new and unusual ways. Okay, let's see. There's a bunch of examples here. A woman in Ethiopia in January 2002 took a stand in public, the bride and groom, at the wedding, accessorized their outfits with placards around their necks. The placards read, I am not circumcised, learn from me. The groom, the husband's sign, declared, I'm very happy to be marrying an uncircumcised woman. The wedding was broadcast on Ethiopian television. The families did not attend because they objected to the uncircumcised status of the bride. However, 2,000 friends showed their support. She, the bride, was the first uncut girl from the region to marry. Okay. Uh, The Women's Self-Help Center there said that it had opened up a debate in the country. There's only one self-help center, right, in Ethiopia. Right. Uh, The young girls there do not even say the words female circumcision. They simply say it is simply known as, quote, removing the dirt, unquote. Today, however, young men and women are really listening. There has been an amazing ripple. It has opened doors of courage. And the article goes on uh, to give more and more examples with the health of human rights activists. Yes, sisters from the Rift Valley in Kenya secured a permanent injunction against their father. They prevented him from circumcising his daughters. Kenya's president declared the practice of FGM illegal in 2001, although he said that for girls over 16... It was their choice. (laughs) There we go. There we go. He's pro-choice. The practice is still widespread, though, and by January 2003, the president said he had helped 17 other girls obtain their own injunctions against their parents. Okay. Those sisters from Kenya now tour the schools telling girls their story and educating them about FGM. Groups like Equality Now believe that FGM needs to be treated as a human rights issue. No kidding, my gosh. (laughs) It needs to be viewed just as any other form of violence against women would be, as a fundamental assault on personal dignity and as an attempt to stifle women's voices and power. The concept of women's equality, integrity, and representation is not a Western construct. Viewed in this context, it's easier to deal with arguments that the West is imposing its views on other cultures. That's a real problem. Uh, it's one of the reasons why European women uh, are discouraged from being on the uh, barricades with regard to this issue uh, of course, culture is not static. It's in constant flux. People change their behavior when they understand the hazards and the indignity of harmful practices, when they realize that it's possible to give up harmful practices without giving up meaningful aspects of their culture. Legislating is crucial. Uh, states also need to make sure that the laws are enforced that, of course, is the problem. There's a local, uh, local, there's a American-U.S. television show called Strong Medicine. It's a soap opera. Whoopi Goldberg is one of the producers. She had some bit parts in it. And they did a story, I was startled, on female genital mutilation. Uh, the girl, girl's family wanted this done. And uh, they really dealt with the issue right there on... Uh, Family TV, I was surprised. Uh, at the same time, I wasn't quite sure that the audience understood what was really happening. Uh, too many people confuse f- female circumcision with male circumcision. It is, of course, uh, not an analogous procedure, although um, we're not here to encourage male circumcision that's uh that's a problem that I leave to the American uh, obstetrics and gynecology board well yes my father was an um, a general practitioner and back in the day in the old days it was his impression that for the health of women circumcision might be a good idea for men and we now have proof coming out of Africa that uh, it helps to avoid HIV AIDS uh, if the men are circumcised but that argument will go on indefinitely and I'm sure to get letters saying that circumcision or any mutilation of the human body is the wrong thing to do I hate to end at that point I wanted to read you Alice Walker's Warrior Marks the best book uh, on the practice she and a, a filmmaker Put that one together. And remember, her book is called Possessing the Secret of Joy, Alice Walker's book. She tried to use fiction to uh, explain this process, what it can do, how it is soul murder, much the way rape is soul murder for women. This has been Jennifer Stone, back on the air Thursday morning at 8.20. Till then, go easy. And if you can't go easy... Go as easy as you can. KPFA Pledge Time.